Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Passing Dimes. Unfortunately, Dallas didn't want to come to China, but I'm here and we're making friends as we go. Uh, we ran into a 2012 Olympian. She's won U19 World Championships. She's medaled uh, a silver at U21 Worlds, also as a ninth. Uh, she's been to World Championships. Canadian fans will recognize her from Edmonton, where they took a fourth. Uh, we're joined today by one half of Team Lama, Bakara Palmer. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for doing this. So, <laughs> You're welcome. How about we give our fans just an update on your season? Because you guys uh, obviously did well in Edmonton. You've been to World Championships. You're here at the Olympic qualifier. Like, How's oh. your season going, and what do you have planned for the rest of the cycle here? Oh, great question. Yeah, we, uh, we started our season probably beginning of the year. Um, Nikki and I actually only came together to play at the end of last year, so we're a pretty a new team. Um, we obviously have trained together a lot and know one another, but a new team officially. Um, so we had a really good start. We won the uh, Sydney event um, on our home beach. It's like five minutes from my house, so that was a really cool event to win. Um, and then from there, we kind of uh, we qualified for Asian Champs, so we played Asian Champs, and we've sort of been targeting as many tournaments as we can and. Um, were the federation selected us for world champs like like you said so we went along and played that and um it's been a it's been a interesting first season i think because we had the success up front it was kind of like a it was a little bit disorientating in a way because i guess we weren't expecting to do so well so quickly um so it was almost like we got a glimpse of what was possible and what the team could do and then this season's actually been about building the foundation and kind of solidifying ourselves so that we can go and do that quite consistently. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of been the theme. I think this, um, this tournament was actually not originally on our, on our cards. We weren't, uh, we weren't playing this one. So we've had a couple of months of sort of like our off-season break, not been on the sand, not been uh, training together. Uh, and then last week got the call up to come out and play this event. So uh, it was very, very last minute, but I guess we embraced the challenge and we're like, let's go and play and see what we can, see what we can do. So... Um, we were a bit disappointed not to get through yesterday, but we saw some really good things, which is, I guess, quite reassuring, given the fact that we didn't really have much of a prep. So um, some good reminders, and I think we'll carry on to our next couple of events with a bit more confidence, um, which are actually back here in China. So we're playing the three-star later on right. in the year. Uh, then we're going to spend a little about a week or so in LA training, and then we're going to go play Mexico. Nice, yeah. So the season does go pretty late. So you guys would be going roughly from was Sydney your first? So you've been going from March to November. Or did we actually you... we actually played an event in Cambodia before Sydney. Wow. So it was like February through till November. <laughs> There's not real. There is no real season anymore. Like the tournaments are, are played throughout the year. Like there was uh, a New Year's tournament in The Hague right. or in the Netherlands. So it's like that's why we sort of scraped together a couple of months in the last couple of months to have a bit of break and treat our bodies well and get strong again. Very cool. So you mentioned Sydney. Um, our athletes really enjoy going to that event, typically because when they kind of take the trip to get out there, they usually play in a pro event before, which is kind of nice that they get included yeah. in that and then stay for the event. So for you, what's it like playing on home soil? Do you also play in the pro event before the Sydney one? Yeah, yeah, we did. So that's that was our Australian champs, um, that event. So yeah, we played in that. Uh, I think we, maybe we got a fourth? I can't remember. <laughs> it was like such a long time ago. Um, so yeah, so we have a we have a, a domestic tour that consists of anywhere from like in some years it's been like maybe three events and then other years it's been maybe six, um, and it and it works basically each state will put on like a state open, uh, and then at some point there is a, a national championship which is kind of the the big one that the federation kind of control. Okay. Um, so 
which is which is great because all the states do actually a really good job of their own like national or their own local tour I guess and then their biggest event of every local tour sort of turns into the national tour um, so yeah it's good it's good for us to it's good for us to play it's good for us to kind of well, my favorite thing about the national tour is a playing at home but also just spreading volleyball as a sport in our country like it's not where there's a lot of AFL cricket rugby there's a lot of other sports that get a lot of the limelight I guess so for us to be able to go out to each of the states and play and kind of get people to see the sport I think is really important um, and I think it's is why that that tour needs to kind of grow and and keep you know getting eyes on as much as possible now is it fair to say is indoor volleyball as popular as beach volleyball is it a little bit more popular like, um, who plays more volleyball I guess in Australia oh, right that's now? a good question I think in terms of like media and people seeing the sport and people kind of knowing the sport, I guess beach volleyball is a little bit more popular. Like we've had the success of Nat and Kerry in 2000, they won that Olympic gold medal. Um, even Taliqua and Maria Faye at the moment are, are winning medals at World Champs. So I think there's, beach volleyball tends to get a little bit more recognition, but I think from a participation perspective, indoor volleyball across the, across the country definitely has more people playing. So there's a lot more school programs, there's a lot more, um, I think Australia has the, the biggest uh, school volleyball tournament in like the Southern Hemisphere. Like it's this oh, wow. huge schools cup, which is just massive in, in Melbourne. So um, yeah, I think there's probably a little bit different. I think beach volleyball is easier for Aussies to digest because right. it's on the beach and you can have a beer and you can have a laugh and it's quite, you know, fits with our culture quite well. Um, whereas indoor volleyball is generally tucked away in stadiums and you go to watch someone you know, but you don't generally watch, you know, just because you know the sport and love it. Okay, I, I see. Think. So you had an opportunity, well, not an opportunity, you played with your indoor national federation mm -hmm. and now you're playing for your beach. Was there one that kind of drew you to the other or were you just a high-level volleyball player that could have chose both? Um, I think early on I did both. Um, and I think my heart always has lied more so on the, on the beach. Um, I think I enjoy the extra responsibility that comes with only being one of two people uh, and being out in the sun and being able to travel to the places that we do. I think the, the beach is um, probably my preference, but then I think there's been times where the beach opportunities weren't around and there was nothing for me to kind of play or do. So flipping over onto indoor was just a way to keep playing and stay in a team and keep kind of feeling like I was progressing and making um, improvements in, in areas. So, yeah, the indoor... The indoor stuff is definitely very, <laughs> I find it quite humbling. Like you get out on an indoor court and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I can't cut a ball or hit a line shot to get me out of trouble. Like you have to, you have to swing on the ball every time. So um, yeah, but I would say Peach is probably my, my preference. So you mentioned uh, you had a chance to play at World Championships this year. Uh, you also previously took a top 10. Just for our viewers who are trying to get like a hold of what the World Tour is and, and everything like that. Can you just kind of describe why World Championships is like a different level tournament than say like a normal four or five star or even a three star? Like what makes World Championships kind of special for everybody? Yeah, I think I think on our calendar and I think as athletes we have like the Olympic Games is obviously every four years and that's because it's so infrequent, it is such a big, it's such a big tournament and one that obviously everyone wants to win. And I think then the next one down from that is World Champs because it's every couple of years. Um, generally the points on offer are double, the prize money on offer is double, um, and it's kind of the most similar to an Olympic Games in the way that it's run and the 
the time frame of the tournament, like it's spread out a little bit more. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of importance placed on it because it is quite similar in some ways to the Olympics. Um, I think this one especially, given the Olympics are next year, uh, and the results and the ranking points from this World Champs is kind of like the easiest way to get a whole heap of points to be able to qualify. Uh, so, and I think also just the, the venue, the way that Hamburg did it, the, the centre court, the setup, everything was just kind of next level. It was, it was pretty unreal. So I think that all of those things kind of contribute to World Champs being a really, um, a really big deal right. <laughs> on our calendar. Um, so before we bounce around to all the other uh, items you've accomplished, can you just comment on Asian Games? Because with us being in Canada, we play on the Norseka Tour, and to be honest with you, it's not the most professional tour sometimes, so mo mostly it comes from like a good story and an opportunity to play a good tournament, but mm -hmm. in your opinion, Asian Games being like your continental qualifier, is the level pretty high or the events professional? Like, um, How is it for somebody who's never seen an event? Yeah, it's... it's that's a good question. <laughs> um, there are, at the moment, I think on our Asian tour, there's two levels of tournaments. There's like a, like a we'll call it like level one and level two. Um, the, the level one tournaments are, are pretty good. I think the, the locations that you go to sometimes can be a little bit hit okay. and miss. So that's the same then. Yeah, okay. So it's, yeah, okay. Um, so they're the kind of tournaments that when you're like, okay, we're going to Indonesia or we're going to this place in Thailand, it's like, okay, we're going to pack some food and we're going to pack the mosquito repellent and we're going to make sure that we're okay. Um, but Asian, Asian champs is generally a little bit, a little bit better. Um, I honestly would say it's dictated a lot by the place where you go to. I think sometimes there's um, the way that the tournaments are run are pretty consistent across the, across the board. Not so much consistent with FIVB, but consistent with Asian tour, um, which is sometimes good and sometimes it's, it's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Asian tour and, and Asian champs are always good opportunities for us to compete against the teams in the countries that we're going to have to compete with at Continental Cup to qualify for the Olympics. So there's always a place for them. Um, and yeah, they're, they're something that obviously are easy to travel to. They're close uh, and generally are, are reasonably okay tournaments nice. to play. Nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be as diplomatic as right. I possibly can. <laughs> so I think maybe the CEV doesn't know how spoiled they are with their events, but it feels like <laughs> Norseka and maybe Asian Games are, are on the same tier as far as uh, there's some unique situations that are going to pop up every once in a while, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like they're probably about the same. <laughs> For anyone who's followed your career or is a big fan of, of the youth events, they would recognize that you took a ninth at U21, uh, U19, excuse me, your first event, mm -hmm. then you won, and then you followed it up with a silver at U21. Was that kind of your first exposure to the World Tour, was playing like these youth events? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they... I started playing when I was like 15, 16, so quite late, like I played a lot of other sports. Um, and I think as soon as I started playing, those youth world championships were like the thing. It's like, this is what you're working towards and these are the, these are the events you want to play. Um, so I think making it, getting my first, I remember my first selection for one of those tournaments. It was actually in France and I was like beside myself. It was my first overseas trip um, and it was, yeah, it was amazing. And then to finally kind of come back and be more of a full-time training environment to then go back and play and obviously playing with Alice Rokemper um, in Bermuda. That event actually was quite 
interesting because we it was supposed to be a four-day event and ended up getting compacted into three because um, Hurricane Florence at the time was coming at Bermuda uh, and it was due to hit on the Saturday night, Sunday morning. So we had to, we played our first game and then we basically had a big meeting and they were like, we have to, we have to shorten this tournament up because we're going to wow. get blown away. Um, so we were like, okay, great. So we ended up playing basically a four-day tournament in three days um, and we won it, which was amazing. It was very windy, as you can imagine. Uh, and then we ended up just getting locked in the hotel for the next probably like 20 hours because we couldn't get out. The hurricane was basically coming through and we were, we were stuck in this. It was a very nice hotel, thankfully. Um, but we were stuck in the hotel. We, I remember at one point we tried to go out and open the door. Like we wanted to, the, it's like as Australians, the idea of a hurricane from South Australia or Southeastern Australia is so foreign. And we're like, What's, it can't be that bad. <laughs> These are 17-year-olds who have just won a tournament who think they're obviously on top of the world. And I remember we went out to try and open the door in the lobby to try and get out to see what it was all about. And we, two of us couldn't pull the door because of the, the like pressure of the wind. We couldn't even pull the door open. And we were like, okay, it's, it's pretty windy out there. <laughs> Let's just go back to our room. Um, so that was a pretty crazy, a pretty crazy tournament, actually, a very unique situation. But yeah, the, the uh, junior program in Australia is quite strong. And we have some really talented youngsters that, that come through um, either state-based programs or the, or the national program. Uh, and there's heaps of opportunity for them to play, both in Australia at Asian like age events and then obviously the junior world champs. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a nice tradition, I think, of, of Australians that we do quite well at those junior events. Yeah, I was just going to follow up with that. So you've won two medals. Uh, your partner, Nicole, won U23 World Championships. So mm -hmm. the process or kind of the training, do you win in a qualifier? Do you be identified by the Federation? Like, how do you get into this program? And then what is the training to lead up to this? Because like you mentioned, it looks like every year Australians are doing well. We do all right, yeah. I think uh, generally there's like a... I don't know exactly how it works now. I haven't... I guess my... I have a bit of distance from the junior program now. I'm, I'm by no means a junior anymore. Um... But there's, there's kind of like a talent pool where there's a, a group of either girls or, or guys who have been identified as being talented or having potential to be quite good. Um, and then uh, there's selection camps. So there'll be sort of a three or four day event, or not event, but um, camp, where it'll be like training sessions, there'll be some testing stuff, like physical testing, um, a little bit of psych stuff, like teamwork things. And it's kind of this whole live-in environment where you basically put yourself up for selection um, and at the end of that teams will be teams will be chosen and then you train with your coach probably in your state and wherever you are and then off you go so it's it's a I remember those uh, um, selection camps being pretty full-on like you're there with 20 other girls who all want the spot to go to this to this event so it's it's pretty full-on but I think it's a really good thing for young athletes to go through and to know that they have to kind of step up and prove themselves and show themselves to be capable and mature and able to kind of go and deal with the pressure that comes from being at a, at a world event like that. Um, yeah. So will your federation try to match partners if there's an opportunity for that? Or would you, because you're at such a young age, sign up with a partner that maybe you're familiar with? Or what's the process on that? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I think sometimes it depends. If you're, you know, like say if there's a, a Queensland pair who have been playing really well together and, and doing well, they'll kind of stay together. 
um, when I was going through, you kind of had a choice that you could say, oh, I'd like to play with this person or, or this person. Um, but ultimately the Federation have the, have the final say and I guess they choose the athletes that they think kind of have the potential and, and want to see sort of progress, I guess. Nice. So the more experience I get on World Tour, the more I learn about Federation. So in Canada, we have kind of a centralized program for our younger players, but our senior athletes, if they earn a certain amount of results, they can train wherever they want. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like the Americans are the wild, wild west where they train wherever they like, they hire a coach wherever they like. Uh, I found out recently Estonia is the program. They don't have a beach volleyball federation, so that was a great story <laughs> from them. How good. Um, for you guys, are you a centralized program, or do you have the freedom to hire your own coach and train anywhere you want? Like, what is the process? Because it looks like Australia has a lot of depth and, and players from all over. So I'm just wondering, are you guys in a camp-based program, or is it freedom to do whatever, whenever? Or yeah, I guess I guess Nikki and I are in a very unique situation, and probably not one that I have seen any other Australian team in. Um, in that. I guess the overarching is that we have a federation program, a high performance program in Adelaide, in South Australia, where there's the head coach, coaches, there's the men's program, women's program, which is kind of like the high level, plus then there's um, the development athletes as well. So they're all in one place, there's strength and conditioning, it's like an institute, it's all in literally one place. Um, I was part of that for, for quite a few years and um, am not anymore. So I live in Sydney uh, and Nikki lives in Adelaide. So she trains within the daily training environment and kind of gets what she can from a strength and conditioning and a training perspective. Uh, and I train in Sydney, so I also work full time. So around my work, I train on the sand and on the on the beach, oh, so on the on the beach and in the gym. Um, and we're just in the process now of sort of trying to formalise coaching structure, all of that funding, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but we are apart for two-thirds of every month, and then we come together for a camp um, at different times, depending either in Sydney or in Adelaide. So we've, I guess our, our team came together and was formed. I was I was out of the sport. I was working full-time. I kind of felt like maybe my volleyball days were, were done and kind of was okay with that, I guess. In hindsight, I probably wasn't as okay with it as what I thought I was, but... Um, and and Nikki had been injured and sort of been out, and we, we actually met up at a wedding... And she was talking about the struggle she was having to, to find someone to play with and to push forward to Tokyo 2020. And it was like this light bulb kind of went off in her head and she looked at me and she was like, you should come and play with me. Like, we would be great together. We should, let's go and do this. And I kind of laughed at first. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's funny. Like, that's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. And then the next day we, we chatted again and I was like, actually, maybe this is something that we actually, okay, let's do this. So we, we kind of came together and we've always said that each of us are so well set up and really happy and content in our respective cities um, and that for either of us to move the other way, we would have to have a really extraordinary situation that would be 100% worth it and worth, I guess, that sacrifice. Um, and as of yet, we haven't been able to find that in, in either place. Um, which is why we are both separate and we and we come together. But I think there's something really unique and really special about it. And I think it kind of is starting to become our X factor, I guess, in a way. Like the fact that we can come together and play this tournament off two or three days notice. It's not really all that weird. Like we're kind of used to coming together and playing a tournament after not necessarily training together. So it's it's a very unique situation. And at the moment, I guess... We, 
I, I'm not even kind of, kind of sure, to be honest, whether or not we fall within the Federation or outside the Federation. I feel like we're kind of sitting on the on the fence and um, that kind of hasn't really been clarified yet. Um, but to be honest, it's, it's neither here nor there. I think we're going to keep doing our thing and playing as much volleyball as we can and we'll see where that gets us. That's so impressive. I had no idea so far, <laughs> listeners, and now my knowledge, because this didn't come up in my research. Uh, what is your profession? Uh, I work in a tech startup. I'm a, I'm a marketing specialist. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that. I, I got my first gig, actually. I started a marketing degree when I uh, left school uh, and then realized that study wasn't, wasn't my thing, <laughs> that I, so I left that pretty quickly. Um, but got an internship at an ad agency in Adelaide, uh, and then I've kind of picked up marketing jobs along the way. So, um, yeah, working in a, in a marketing team, it's really great. They're super flexible and allow me to kind of come and go as I need to and sort of have bought into the Olympic journey, which is amazing. Um, and to be honest, my life would be really, really hard if that wasn't the case. Uh, so shout-outs to one player in <laughs> Sydney. Thanks, guys. <laughs> wow. So are you ever required to do work on the road or when you're on the tra travel like you're a professional volleyball player and work kind of weights or do you try to do both? Or uh, I try and do both. And to be honest, I like doing both. Like I like having um, something to, I guess, stimulate my, my brain in that way. Um, I think that being on tour, there's a lot of downtime, like a lot of downtime. And I think that for me, sitting and just watching a movie or watching a TV show or kind of zoning out, I can only kind of do for so long before I start to drive myself insane. So I like having projects and, and there is obviously a bunch of work that I can do with being on the internet and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, it's a really it's a really great situation actually. Nice. Um, so going back to U19 and U21, your success there, um, when you went to the World Tour, did you find that that was another jump, or did you guys feel with your success at the youth level that you were kind of ready to go to some main draws, or probably they were Grand Slams, I think, back at that time? Yeah. Like the star system wasn't there. Like, did you notice yeah. a big difference, or uh, was it kind of like a wow moment that there was still another level? Yeah, it was definitely a big difference. I think that uh, when Alice and I won that Junior World Champs, you get a wild card into a tournament, uh, into a main draw. Um, so... I think it's this funny thing, I think being a kid and having just like, just won this tournament and feeling like you're on top of the world and like, you know, like we're untouchable, we're amazing. And then you get thrown into a into a main draw and all of a sudden it's it's quite a big reality check that there is this other level and there's a whole bunch of women who are playing and have been playing for a long time. Um, so that's always, I think, a bit of a challenge just to manage the expectations of moving forward. But um, I really, I really enjoyed that step. I actually kind of enjoyed being at the, at the bottom and having to kind of like grind my way up. Um, I found it to be quite freeing actually and being, and it's kind of like you can just go and there's no expectation and you can just play and if you play well, great. If you don't, great. Like there's, there was kind of no expectation. So, uh, I, I kind of enjoyed that actually. Nice. And, and once again, did you notice a big jump? when you qualified for the Olympics, like are the Olympics just their own kind of animal right now that it's so different from the world tour? Like what did you kind of take from your 2012 experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think not so much that the, that the players and the level of play is that much higher. I think the level of play on the world tour right now is crazy high. And I think that whether it's world champs or Olympics, that is pretty consistent. Um, I think the, the biggest difference is the event itself. Um, and I guess all of the 
other stuff that comes along with just going out and playing volleyball that was quite, for me personally, being my first Olympics, I found very overwhelming. I felt like a bit of a deer in headlights for the most part of that Olympic experience. Um, and I think the the fact that it had been something that we'd wanted for so long. And as a kid, I remember watching the Olympic Games on TV and being like, I want to be there. F to then be there and be in the uniform and be part of the team and be in the, you know, in the same building as all these people that I've watched growing up. And um, it was quite, it was, I guess, quite an overwhelming experience. And I think that then sort of reflects onto the volleyball court is that it's kind of hard to go from doe-eyed and, and staring around in awe at everything to then come onto a volleyball court and try and go and perform and be really present and grounded. Um, that's a that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think the I think the, the the Olympic experience for me was a really challenging one. I think the eighteen months leading into it was really I found really challenging, probably from more of like a, a mental and emotional perspective, and just trying to find my best volleyball, my best self, like all of that stuff I really struggled with. Um, so there was a, quite a big relief when we actually did qualify for the Olympics because it was kind of in question for a while. We, we were pretty close to not going through that top 16. Um, so I think that probably the most special part about the Olympics for me was having my mum and dad come over. Um, so my dad was born in England and hadn't been back since he came over here when oh, he wow. was like three or four or came over to Australia. So for him to go back as a 60-year-old, 60, 60 like low 60s man back to the place where he was born was a really was a really cool thing I guess to be able to um, facilitate that in a way for him because he I don't think he would have gone back had the Olympics not been right. on. Um, so that was really cool and it was cool that they were there and they were obviously very proud and and loved being part of the whole thing. So that was really special. Um, and then I think in a way I'm like thank God I've got that first one done and dusted and out of the way. Um, and now I guess looking forward to one or two more, I, I'm like, okay, I think I'll, I think I'll be able to handle the situation a, a whole lot better <laughs> than what I did the first time. Definitely. Um, so on a previous episode, we spoke to Heather Bansley and she mentioned that during the Olympic qualifying, you, you try not to watch points and keep an eye on everything, but you're kind of <laughs> under stress the whole time until you know you're in, right? Yep. You going through the process and qualifying and now being in another quad, do you feel that same way too, where you're kind of just, are you kind of keeping one eye on the point structure? Are you guys just treating it one at a time? Or how do you manage this? Because it seems like the, the window right now to qualify is so open. How do you kind of manage that while you're on the process and it is a goal at the end? You kind of don't want to focus on it every day, right? Yeah, I think that Nikki and I are in a very unique situation. I think the fact that we came together at the end of last year, I was out of the sport. I wasn't playing. Nikki wasn't really sure what she was doing. And when we came together to play to to play as a team, we were really strong about a couple of things, and that was that we were coming together because we love volleyball and that we love playing together, and that that was our number one priority. So any opportunity we had to play and to enjoy going and playing, we would we would take. Um, we also spoke about the fact that the Olympics are a really important part, but they're not the only thing with this with our team. And I think both of us in the past have have approach the Olympics with that being the, the be-all and end-all and it's almost like there's a cliff on the other side of the Olympics and nothing else exists at the other side and I think we both found that really challenging and I think picking up the pieces afterwards was really hard uh, so I guess we've both kind of committed to one another that we want to do it differently we don't we don't want to do that again uh, so for us the the Olympic qualification period is obviously 
there and it's something that we that we want um, but purely based on the fact that we just want to play really really good volleyball and we want to learn and grow as individuals and as a team that's what takes our focus and at this point where you know we we look at it and I think the fact that we came together quite late qualifying through top 16 was not really on the on the cards um, had we gone and made some of the main draws in the four and five stars and, you know, be making top tens and have done better at world champs, maybe that would be something we'd talk, we were talking about, but um, that wasn't the case, unfortunately. So I think we're, we're focused on us being the strongest, most tight-knit unit that we can be. Um, and then when Continental Cup comes around, we'll, we'll deliver and, I guess, put all of that into play there. But I think that there's a, a real freedom that comes from there being other things that are also important, um, not necessarily just qualifying for the Olympic Games. Um, yeah, which I think is probably a bit of a strange way of looking at it. I, I don't see many other people looking at it that way. Um, but Nikki and I are pretty sure that that's actually what's going to make us our best and going to make us perform our best. And ultimately, that's what we're here for. Nice. So I'm glad you brought up the challenges of living in a different city than your partner. Um, Canadian fans will kind of empathize with this because our travel always isn't the best feeling like we're always going to Europe. Uh, you guys share a similar travel struggle where, can you kind of explain the before and after to get to Edmonton? Because it was great to have a team of your caliber, obviously, at Edmonton, but there was an event in Europe at the same time. So I'm wondering how you chose to kind of make the mission all the way to Edmonton from being really the other side of the world. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we were in, we'd been in Europe for, I think, about four or five weeks. Um, so we traveled, we played the Warsaw event, um, we played a couple of events in, we played one in Switzerland, we had a national tour event there. So we'd played a few and then we had world champs. Um, and we were sort of sitting there and we were, we were, to be honest, we were kind of in two minds as to whether or not we played Portugal, which was the European event, whether we played Canada or whether we went home. Um, unfortunately, a big part of that was around cash, like whether we could afford to get ourselves to Canada and home. Um, and... We, we kind of sat there and we knew that that three-star would be a little bit lower in terms of the amount of teams that were going to go over, given there was a Portugal event on at the same time, and it was closer and easier for a lot of Europeans. Um, so we kind of made the call. We saw the list. We saw where we were seated, and we were like, you know what, this would be crazy not to go over and have a, have a crack. Um, I love Canada. It's probably one of my favourite between Canada and Norway are like my two favourite countries outside of Australia, so it was not a hard sell <laughs> by any means. Um, so yeah, so we were in Europe, we actually travelled from Switzerland, we had an overnight in London, we played an exhibition event in downtown London because there was an event on which was kind of fun, uh, and then we jumped on the plane the next day and flew to, flew to Edmonton, um, and we had sort of a, we ended up having sort of like four or five days to get ourselves settled and um, into the time zone before we had to, had to play, which was, which was really good. We actually found ourselves in a, I think in a really... Um, we'll call it a colourful part of town. We, we hired it, we booked a hotel and obviously we didn't know the area, we didn't know where we were um, and we got told by a couple of the a couple of the locals that we potentially shouldn't be out walking around on the streets oh, at wow. night. <laughs> um, so that was funny and kind of a bit of a, a, a fun way to land in Canada and have three or four days where, and obviously it was Canada so we felt very safe but you kind of look around and you're like, this probably isn't the best place for, for two, tall, two tall girls to be wandering around. But we, we survived and it was fine. So it was, it was all good. 
good. Hopefully our listeners get a kick out of how much you enjoy Canada because between uh, where you were staying and the weather in Edmonton, it wasn't always uh, peak season for us. Normally summers are actually summer. That was kind of a weird it was week a, in Edmonton. It was a weird one, but I think that like the thing that stood out so much was that ev- like everybody was just so kind. Like everybody that we that we came across was lovely and wanted to have a chat and was very they're just you guys you Canadians are really lovely people so we had a really good time and we um, made some friends which was great uh, and then hired a car and, and went for a drive down to Calgary through Banff and through all the all the mountains and I think Nick and I just spent most of the time just like mouths open in awe of the the scenery and of where we were it was yeah it was amazing Definitely a highlight of our trip, so. Nice, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, one thing that did come through in the research before the show is you have played in the AFL, so describe <laughs> that, how you can be a high-level athlete in, in two sports. Were you a multi-sport athlete growing up, or how did this opportunity come through to play uh, football, I guess? Yeah, so I did play a lot of sports growing up. I was always pretty active, and I think being a pretty tall kid, I kind of got picked on a lot of teams that potentially I wasn't necessarily that good at, but I got picked in them anyway, which was lovely. Um, yeah, so I actually, um, a few years ago was, was playing volleyball part of the program and decided to step away. I just wasn't happy and wasn't enjoying the, the training environment. So I decided to step away and, um, at the time there was a semi-professional league that had just, it had one season and it was in its second season in Australia, which is the AFLW. Um, and if you haven't watched any of it or seen any of it, I recommend that you YouTube it because it is the gnarliest, <laughs> it's like the gnarliest sport. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I literally got offered a, a, a contract the day after I left Volleyball Australia, which was an unbelievable kind of turn of events and to me felt very serendipitous. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take that. That sounds good. Um, but yeah, that was a very steep, very steep learning curve. It's full contact. It's a huge oval that's you know almost 200 meters long by maybe 80 or 90 meters wide so it's a huge field um yeah full contact the ball is like a gridiron ball so it's like an oval shaped ball um there is really nothing about it that is the same or similar <laughs> to volleyball so I kind of went into it it's very green very much a very much a rookie uh but really enjoyed the challenge of being in a different team in a different environment very different dynamic um, and just kind of learning how to be in a, in a different team like that where there's 25, 30 girls in the squad versus you being with one other person. Um, so that was good. So I, I played a few games with one of the local, local teams in Adelaide um, but only did it for, for one season. At the end of that season, I decided to move to Sydney to, to live with my partner and, and be over there. So I also felt a little bit like I, I managed to dodge a bullet by not getting really badly injured. <laughs> Um, so there was a little part of me that was like, you know what, you've, you've done it, you've dipped your toe in, you haven't, you know, you haven't got a, a drastic injury to have to rehab, so maybe just, you know, say thanks, but we're going to move onwards now. <laughs> but it was great, and I, I, like I said, I would recommend you Google it. The, have you watched any Australian football? Not very much, no. I think oh. we, we've heard of it in Canada. I don't know how many people would actually say that they understand the rules fully and follow it. And... It's kind of like, I don't, it's hard to explain because... There's not really anything like it, but it's kind of, the contact is kind of like gridiron, but with no padding, no helmets, no nothing. But you can obviously kick forward, you can kick backwards, you can handball, um, you can run with the ball. So it's quite fast, it's quite dynamic, 
Um, but the, ta the tackling bit was the bit that got me. Like, I've played a non-contact sport since I was a kid. Um, so then the idea of there being people, <laughs> people close to me and, like, wanting to take me to ground was was pretty confronting for the most part but it was fun and I really I really enjoyed that that season. Nice so hopefully between this episode and, and saying how much you love Canada and doing well in Edmonton <laughs> you've gained some fans. Um, you and Nikki have a neat thing going where you're Team Llama so can you <laughs> kind of explain how the name came together and uh, where can our fans buy those awesome shirts? Yeah I'm actually wearing one now I, I chucked it on it was in my in my suitcase. Um, yeah so we are Team Llama so we we wanted to kind of name name ourselves and I wish it was more interesting, but it really is Laird Palmer, and we just put them together, which made Llama. <laughs> that was that was what that's where it came came from. Um, but we were in a kind of a, a spot at the beginning of this year where we weren't kind of getting any funding, and we we didn't really have a a pool of cash that we could go and travel with, and we needed to do some fundraising. So we made these T-shirts, and a and a good friend of ours, um, Meg Minkley, did the the picture on the back she made a bit of a German themed world champ style llama which was pretty cool um, and yeah so so we sold a bunch of these and to be honest it was quite overwhelming how many we were able to, to sell and how much we were able to raise we did a fundraiser um, at a local um, brew house in in Sydney and just the the people that came out like the Sydney beach volleyball community have just kind of like got behind us and it's there's a beach volleyball school in Manly um, and they were they were all about it. They came out. They bought raffle tickets. They bought training sessions. They bought T-shirts, um, and quite literally got us on the got us on the plane to get over to World Champs. So it was a really wow. it's a really cool. It kind of gives me like even the the goosebumps now thinking about it to know that we were so heavily backed and and that all these people really believed in us and wanted us to go and do really well. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool, pretty special. Probably the first time I've felt like that in the in my volleyball career where there's this like groundswell of people who love the sport and love playing the game had kind of gotten in underneath us and were like, off you go. And I, they kind of, I guess, gave us their vote of confidence through buying things or just donating or, or whatever it was. It was really, it was actually really, really special. So, uh, yeah, so we have a few there. At, um, our website is teamlama.co. Um, and I'm not sure, I hope there's some on there at the moment. If there's not, send me a message on Instagram. <laughs> I can send one out at some point. Um, so yeah, so that was a that was a fun little project, and, and probably something we'll we'll do again in the in the future. We'll just get a different themed llama right. on the back. <laughs> nice. So you mentioned you have heard of the show, which Dallas mm -hmm. back home, I'm sure he's just giddy hearing this. Um, one thing we do try to push is just kind of a unique story that, as much as this is professional and the athletes are super high level, there are some unique opportunities that happen to volleyball players. Is there anything that's happened on the road where you're kind of just like huh, I wasn't expecting this when I was dreaming of being a professional volleyball player growing up. Oh, that's a good question. I think there's lots of things that kind of you can look back on and sort of laugh, like that Bermuda story about getting caught with a like a hurricane coming in is, is up there with a very unique, <laughs> I guess, situation that we found ourselves in. Um, what else? That's a good question. You stumped me with that one. I feel like there's probably so many, so many different things. I think it's... I think the thing that stands out to me is the the places that we get to go and I guess then the people that we meet and the friends that we kind of make. Like I think about honestly that Canada trip and, and driving through Banff and that area um, and, and during that time we pulled up on the side of the road and there's like a black bear 10 metres away from us um, which 
all the Canadians are probably scratching their heads and being like, you're an idiot, why were you so close to them back there? <laughs> Which is very fair. So we, um, and I actually will tell you that story because we, we pulled up and there was a lot of people, this, this bear was just eating some berries on the side of the road. And we pulled up in the car, we got out, took a couple of photos and then Nikki, <laughs> Nikki turns to me and she's like, I think it's, I think it's time, let's get back in the car. Like I've, something, there was some spidey sense in her that was like, we need to get out of here. I'm like, okay. So we went, we got back in the car, we shut the door and looked up and this black bear went charging at these people. <laughs> it's not funny, it was funny, but it's not funny. This black bear's turned around and just come at the like lineup of people with their cameras sitting on the side of the road who were literally 10 metres away. Like they were very, very close. Um, so we got back in the car, this bear's come at them. There's, you should have seen the people, like they was flying up on top of the car, on top of the bonnet of the car, they were like, so I've never seen people scamper quite so quickly. Um, and then the bear just proceeded to walk across the road, down the other side, started eating berries on the other side of the road. Gosh. And it was, it was a really kind of surreal thing where I was like, I feel like, I feel like this <laughs> could have gone very, very wrong very, very quickly. And it didn't. And there was locals that were driving past and just yelling out of the car, just like, get back in your car. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that probably is good advice. <laughs> we're going to take off. Um, so I think it's experiences like that that I think we were there because of volleyball and there's, you know, I think about doing a hike in Norway up to a place called Pulpit Rock, which is a, a very, very flat stone with a 800 metre drop. There's no fencing, there's no nothing and you can literally sit on the edge of this rock down to the fjords beneath and it's like the tournament was half an hour away from there so we got to go and see it and I think they're the things that stand out to me as being pretty... Um, pretty cool that we're able to be in those in those places and see those things um, aside from you know the after the Olympics we went to a um, the the Prime Minister's house in Canberra and we went we went to their house and had like morning tea with the with the Prime Minister and her staff and in this pretty amazing place right near Sydney Harbour Bridge and the and the Opera House so they're things too you kind of stand there and you're like this is not anywhere I would ever be <laughs> unless obviously you go to an yeah. Olympics and, and that sort of thing. So there are there are a lot of those things, and I guess I'd probably more so these days, being a little bit older, I try and soak them in and appreciate them as much as possible because it is a very it's a unique way to live a life, I think, being a, an elite athlete and constantly be trying to be better and travelling so much and all that good stuff. Wow. So this is this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time here to do this. Uh, I know you got to catch your shuttle here, so we mm. we can end it there. Uh, hopefully, you've gained some more fans. So, what's the best way for them to follow up? You mentioned the Team Llama uh, website they can check out. What's your Instagram? Uh, my Instagram is just at Bacara. Um, it's one of the perks of having a, a unique name <laughs> is that I get at Bacara, and my my uh, Twitter is the same. So you can follow me there. Um, shoot me a message. I'm more than happy to, to have a bit of a chat. So that's probably the best way. And then the, yeah, the website, teamlama.co, there's um, actually not a lot on there, mainly just T-shirts. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's probably, the, that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks again, and hopefully you made some fans out of this. And uh, thanks again for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Dallas, you missed a good one, buddy. <laughs> Special thanks to Bakara Palmer for joining the show. Hopefully Team Llama gained some new fans by joining our show. If you'd like to hear more from our Olympic guests, go back and download episodes with TJ Sanders, Heather Bansley, and super best friend of the show, Ben Saxton. If you want to hear more from our international guests, you can go check out our episodes with Mark Tisar, Kusti Novak, Matthias Bernstein, and The Billy Allen Show. Please leave a comment and a five-star review. 
please subscribe so you don't miss any of our bonus content and stay tuned for new episodes every Friday. Stay excellent, friends.